0: I invite you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to our scripture reading for this morning, which is taken from the prophecy of Jeremiah. We will first read some verses from chapter 28, Jeremiah 28, and then from Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 28, 1 through 9, and chapter 29, verses 1 through 23. And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me, that is, Jeremiah, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon." Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so, the Lord perform your words which you have promised to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will, the the prophet will know as one whom will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And then we move to chapter twenty-nine. Beginning in verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And here begins our text, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. And I will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And I will will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. And I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah the son of Maasiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness." says the Lord. And as I mentioned, we will. our text this morning is the verses 10 through 14 of the passage that we just read. After the proclamation of God's word, let us respond with our Amen song by singing from Psalm 119, stanzas 1 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the passage that I've chosen for the text today is a passage that is Very frequently quoted by Christians, especially the words of verse 11 I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We love to quote that text. We find it on calendars and wall plaques in our homes. We love this verse because it contains such a beautiful promise. After all, who doesn't want a future and a hope? This is also one of the most misquoted texts in Scripture because it's often used as a kind of a security blanket. It's quoted as if it just means that God is going to have a wonderful plan for your life and make you prosper. But taking a Bible text like that out of its context, brothers and sisters, that's, that's just bumper sticker theology and that doesn't work. It doesn't mean much all on its own. And so let's, let's examine this within its context. Let's examine the content of this promise within its context. I proclaim to you this promise contained in the Word of God. God knows the plans He has for you. We will consider the context of the promise, the content of the promise, and our response to this promise. So the first thing that we need to understand about the words of our text is to whom they were spoken as well as the time and the place in which they were spoken. All of these elements are important. So we note in the first place that the words of Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 4 through 23 they contain words or portions of a letter that Jeremiah sent to the surviving elders and exiles in Babylon to the priests, prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. That's what we read in verse 1. So. When we come to our text, verses 10 through 14, we have to keep in mind that the you here is in the plural. Jeremiah has been instructed by the Lord to send this letter to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. So the words of our text are not addressed in the first place to an individual or to individuals, but they are addressed to God's people, to the church in Babylon. And this puts a proper perspective on the words of our text. <coughs> And that also becomes clear when you read through those verses in our text. The word you is in the plural, so God is speaking to all of the exiles. He is telling them what His plan is for them. And then the words of verse 11 follow right on the heels of that revelation, of that plan. God says, I know the plans I have for you, or I know my thoughts that I have towards you. And he is speaking here towards the people who will be in Babylon for 70 years. The next thing we can ask is, when exactly did Jeremiah send this letter? Well, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 29, together with chapters 27 and 28 and even earlier, tell us that Jeremiah sent this letter after the first deportation of Jewish exiles to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. So this letter was addressed to the first group of exiles two or three years after they had been deported. <clears throat> so these are people who have been recently torn from their homes and their homeland. They have witnessed the ferocity of war, the evil of war, the destruction of war. They've, they've seen their friends and neighbors being killed. And the house of David is now just a puppet in the hands of the king of Babylon. And then they would have had to walk along difficult journey to Babylon as prisoners and when they arrived they would have to live in a place that they did not know they weren't familiar with the surroundings or the customs they didn't understand the language or the culture and when we think about this we begin to understand how the words of Psalm 137 must have resonated with these exiles by the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion On the willows there we hung up our lyres. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This was a terrible time for the people of God. And then they get to hear from the Lord's prophet that this is all the Lord's doing. Look at verse 4, the opening line of the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the two of the people who have experienced the evil of the Babylonians, God saying, I sent you into exile. I did this. And of course, the prophet Jeremiah has been preaching this for decades already. Jeremiah had the difficult and unenviable task of warning God's people that he would punish them with sword and captivity if they did not repent of their sins, their sins of idolatry, repeatedly serving other gods. And Jeremiah turned out to be right. And so God's people were sent into exile. But the people never expected this to happen. After all, they were children of Abraham. They were God's covenant people. His chosen people. God would never abandon them, surely. After all, he had called Father Abraham out of Babylon to go to the promised land. Now it seems as if God had abandoned them. Because now God had sent Abraham's children back to Babylon. All of Old Testament history is going in the opposite direction to the promised land. And now it seems as if things are being reversed. Things are going backwards. And to top it all off, God's prophet is even telling them, settle down in Babylon, build houses, raise families, put down roots. And the prophet Hananiah, who claimed to speak on God's behalf, And said the exile would only last for a couple of years. He was proven to be a liar and the Lord put him to death. You can read about that in 28 verse 16 and 17. Instead the people get to hear that 70 years will pass before their exile is over. Imagine the thoughts they had about the Lord. Imagine the thoughts they had about what the Lord was thinking. Is God reversing His plans? Does He no longer care about His promise to Abraham? Does His covenant promise not mean anything anymore? We thought it was an everlasting covenant. Has the Lord changed His mind? You see, the people thought that they knew the thoughts that God was thinking. And that's because they were listening to the false prophets. And these prophets were spinning a lie, telling the people, it's going to be fine, it'll soon be over. They scoffed at Jeremiah's message for decades, for 40 years already. Jeremiah had been preaching. But when reality sets in, they realize that God is truly angry with them and sending them into exile, and then they thought God's plans for us must be evil, and they gave up on his promises, and that's when we get to verse 11, and God is saying, you do not know my thoughts. You're wrong." Because I know the thoughts I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. My thoughts toward you are not evil. My thoughts toward you are only good. What incredibly encouraging words, congregation. Also for today, because doesn't it happen to us too that we sometimes think thoughts about God that are not found on the pages of Scripture. It happens to all of us that life becomes very difficult and we don't understand the things that we're dealing with and sometimes terrible things happen to us or to the people we love and sometimes we have to deal with with shocking and disturbing things and we don't understand why and we wonder what God is doing. You don't have to be an old person even to understand that life can throw... Lots of curves and unexpected twists, and make you wonder why is God doing this? And we might think to ourselves, Well, I want to serve the Lord, but why is it so difficult, so often so difficult? And we might not say that out loud, but we think it. But then how encouraging it is to know that God's thoughts toward his people are thoughts for good and not for evil, even when they're in captivity, even when they've been uprooted from the promised land, even when it looks like, looks as if God has given up on His people, He says, every thought I think about you and toward you is for your good. Plans for your welfare and not plans for evil. It doesn't matter, brothers and sisters, how dismal and how bleak things are. Know that God's thoughts toward His people are good. Every thought He has about you is good. And that reinforces for us the knowledge that we have that nothing happens without a reason. God is not an arbitrary God. He doesn't act arbitrarily. Even in hardship and trouble, He accomplishes His purposes. In fact, you could say hardship and trouble are His servants for His purpose. So what did this mean then for the people to whom Jeremiah addressed this letter? Well, it really means that the people have to stop trying to understand God by going according to their own experience. When God promised something, what would they do? They looked around and they observed their current historical circumstances. It wasn't very good. And that's how they determined whether or not God's promises were valid. If God promised something, they determined its power and its truthfulness by their own circumstances. John Calvin writes, they consulted only their own brains. Instead, the people of God are to consult and to listen and to believe His Word and His promises. And when it comes to this passage, that's not that difficult to find out what God's promises are. Because when the Lord is speaking here of His plans and His thoughts towards His people, He's not speaking about His hidden counsel or His hidden will. He's speaking about His revealed will. He's speaking about the deliverance of His people. After 70 years, He will bring them back. It's very plain and simple. There's nothing hidden or incomprehensible about that. It's not a message about the hidden counsel of God. but a message in plain language that tells them God will punish His people for 70 years and then bring them back. It will be only for a time. And in this way, God is really rebuking His people for not believing Him. They didn't entertain any hope of being delivered because all they looked at was the power of Babylon and the reality of the exile. But in the meantime, they did have God's word that deliverance was coming. They had God's word which said that his covenant with Abraham is an everlasting covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. You are the apple of my eye, my chosen people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They had God's word. And they had heard Jeremiah preaching for 40 years. And the word of the Lord came to pass. But they didn't want to hear what God's prophet had to say. And what is it that the people really wanted to hear? When you hear that God has plans for your welfare and your good, what do you think of? Now often it it goes something like this, when we think about God's blessing on our lives, it's like, well I want to get married and have a family, and by the time I'm 35 I'd like to have a really good job and with some good vacation and maybe retire at 65 and enjoy that for a while. Maybe something like that. And then it would be really nice to know, too, that God is, I can trust God to make those plans happen. We crave the comfort of knowing that our plan will work out. And those are good things to pray for, but is that what we should expect from the Lord? Because we often forget that the life of faith is not a smooth road, and it. And it looks pretty messy sometimes. And our future is not unveiled for us. And we sometimes forget that even though we have been brought out of the house of slavery, that Christ has conquered sin and death on the cross, we still live in a fallen and broken world. We live in the middle of a spiritual battle between good and evil. And we sometimes forget that God is sovereign over all of that and over us, and over our lives, and over our plans, too. And yes, it's true, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But for the believer, that plan is salvation from the wrath of God, the wrath that we justly deserve. And it is indeed a wonderful plan. It's a surprising plan, because... Look at the context in which Jeremiah 29 verse 11 comes to the people of God, to Israel. It's a surprising word of hope to a people who are really standing under the judgment of God. It's a message that comes to people who don't deserve it. And it's certainly not a message that should just give us an artificially happy feeling. God's going to be nice to all of us, and especially to me. No, this, remember, the you is in the plural. This is a promise to God's people. It's a message that affirms that even in, in judgment there is hope and grace and goodness, the goodness of God. That is God's ultimate plan and purpose for the welfare of His people. We deserved eternal punishment. Israel deserved to go into exile, but God satisfied that payment with the death of His Son. And that's why Israel could come back to the land of promise. God's wonderful plan for our life is that He sent His Son to pay the debt that we owe Him because of our sin. And the result of that plan is that by the power of His Holy Spirit, we are able to put to death the evil desires of our flesh and be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, what then should be our response to this surprising word of grace? And it certainly shouldn't be a shallow sense of relief. Well, that's wonderful, that's great. Now everything's going to be fine. No, rather we are called to respond to the grace of God with, with renewed prayer. Our text tells us that we are to seek the Lord. And this is language taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter verse 29 to 31 where the Lord anticipates that something like this is going to happen he anticipates that his people will be brought into exile but also that they will return to the Lord in the wake of judgment and exile they will run back to God they will seek his favor and his forgiving grace it says in in that chapter in Deuteronomy for the Lord your God is a merciful God He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. So God's people are going to come back to Him. They are to respond by seeking the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what the Lord expects of His people. And notice the gospel in these verses. You will call upon Me and go and pray to Me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back. You see, congregation, the motive of our heart to seek the Lord is in and of itself also a gift of God's grace. Yes, it is a condition of His grace. We must seek the Lord. That's the condition of finding Him, that's true. But at the same time, it's a condition that God meets for us and in us. He does not leave it up to us to seek Him. It's not our action and seeking Him that is first, that is decisive, but it is God's grace that is at work in us. Listen, for example, to what the Lord says to those very same exiles in Jeremiah chapter 24. There he speaks to those whom he sent into Babylon and he says, I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So the people seek the Lord with their whole heart. And God will respond by being their God when in the fullest sense of the word. But the reason his people return to him with their whole heart is that God gives them a heart to know him. His action is first and decisive. It's just as when God rescued his people from Egypt. He said, I am your God. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now here's the relationship That we ought to have. These are the Ten Commandments. So it doesn't take away from the call to seek the Lord. The Bible also says, seek the Lord while He may be found. The Lord wants us to seek Him. And He desires to be found by us. But you might say, well, I have already found the Lord. Because I'm a Christian. I know who the Lord is. But then I would remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 where he writes, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that's, that verb, knowing, there is, gives a sense of wanting to know more. He says he wants to know Christ, and that might puzzle us a little bit because of all people, who would write this? Why would Paul write this? Doesn't he know Christ already? And in the meantime, he's made it his, his life's ambition to preach Christ, and he's written half the New Testament, so that people might know Christ? Well, the Christian life, congregation, is not about starting with Jesus and then moving on to something else. But the Christian life is about knowing Jesus Christ and continuing to know Him better and better. The question is, how can I know Him better? Isn't that what the first commandment means? You shall have no other gods before me. Doesn't that mean that God is first and second and third and and everything in your life? To love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that what Paul was talking about here in Philippians 3? And what do we think about that, brothers and sisters? Because aren't we often much more concerned with acting like Christians than being Christians? Or to put it differently, much more concerned with Serving God than seeking God. And I realize, of course, you cannot separate the two. But knowing God comes before serving Him. The Christian life is not merely about doing this or that. It's not a legal set of rules. The Christian life is about a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. Let me give an illustration from Scripture. You remember the story of Mary and Martha. Martha. Luke chapter 10, two sisters. One day Jesus was visiting them. Martha was busy in the kitchen preparing food for her guests. Mary was in the living room listening to Jesus. But Martha gets all upset and so she goes to the Lord Jesus, tell tell Mary to get up and help me. Well, what did Jesus do? He did not rebuke Mary, but he rebuked Martha. It was a gentle rebuke, but it was still a rebuke. And he told her there's only one thing that truly matters. So, Martha, what you're doing is secondary. Mary has chosen what was better. And even today, there are plenty of people who say, well, if it weren't for the Marthas in the church, nothing would get done. Which implies then that Mary was doing something of little value or wasting her time. But, brothers and sisters, who anointed the feet of Jesus with costly perfume? It was Mary. Why? Because she wanted to express her love for the Lord Jesus, and she did it because she knew that Jesus was about to die. How did she know this? Well, because she knew Him. She had been listening to Him. And Jesus had not been silent about this. But the others didn't get it. Peter and James and John, they didn't get it. But Mary did. And how is it possible? Because she was seeking the Lord. She sat at the feet of Jesus. When He spoke, she listened. When she listened, she heard what He said. And because she sought Him, she was able to serve Him. To truly serve Him. Those who seek the Lord and listen to Him are also able to serve Him. Do you see the pattern? First, seek the Lord. Listening comes before serving, and that's the key to living the Christian life. We are called to seek the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the Lord Jesus tells us. But We often tend to complicate things. We tend to think that we must first seek something else, the Lord's blessing or happiness or seeking how to use our talents or to seek the joy of faith, but we are told to first seek the Lord, and then all these things will be added unto you. And I'm not saying that these things don't matter, of course not. I'm not saying that service doesn't matter, or it's unimportant, but the Bible teaches us that the motivation for service must come from seeking and knowing the Lord. So now back to our text. Jeremiah had to tell the Babylonians the Babylonian exiles, to seek the good of Babylon, to serve the Lord in Babylon. Imagine that. What do you think would motivate the exiles to seek the good of Babylon, of all places? The city that had destroyed their homeland, had had destroyed their families and friends. Imagine seeking the good of that city. Well, the only thing that would and could motivate them to respond to this command of God would be if they knew and believed that God's thoughts for them were for their good and not for evil. And the only way for God's people to know that His thoughts toward them are for their good and for their welfare, their only way for them to know that is to know the Lord. And the only way to know the Lord is to seek Him. And to find him, and the only way to do that is to listen to his word and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Brothers and sisters, today Christians too can lay claim to that promise. It was made to the exiles in Babylon. And the promise is that there is a hope and a future coming for them. Life and hope and future in the promised land. And that promise is for us too. And why can we believe it? Because God is the God of our redemption. He fulfilled His promise to Israel, and after 70 years He brought them back to Jerusalem. And the fulfilling of that promise points ahead to the redemption that God's people obtain in Christ Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus lifted up the cup and said to his disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. He was talking about the next day. The next day he was going to fulfill all of the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. He would die the next day and he would shed his blood for his people and secure for them the promises of the covenant that God had made. Everything that God had meant to be fulfilled for His people would be fulfilled then. And we too can lay hold of that promise, brothers and sisters, because they have been fulfilled, that promise has been fulfilled for us too. And knowing this is what gives us confidence to live the Christian life in this world. If the Babylonians exiles, the Jewish exiles in Babylon, if they didn't know God, if they didn't believe that God's thoughts toward them were for their good that he had plans for their welfare, if they did not believe all of this, well then life in Babylon would have been unbearable. It would have been hopeless, completely devoid of any assurance of God's love. But when you believe in God's promises, when you believe that God knows the plans that he has for you, that he knows that his thoughts towards you are for your good, when you believe that he seeks your welfare and his plans for you are not for evil then you also can have the confidence and the assurance to live out your calling in this world when you believe that God knows his plans for you you can live out the Christian life on this earth and then we can also fulfill God's command to build houses and live in them and plant gardens and raise our families start a business get a job get married When you believe that God knows his plans for you, you can also confidently seek the welfare of the city where God has placed you. You can even pray to the Lord on behalf of that city. Our hope for the future congregation enables us to look upward and forward and to believe. Not not that all of our problems are going to get a quick fix. Not at all. That's not what the Bible promises. But because we trust that God is true to all of His promises, therefore we know there is a future for the coming generations of God's people. So let us lay hold of those promises and let us seek the Lord. Whether we are old or young, seek the Lord. If you have been living as a Christian for many decades already, continue to seek the Lord. And if you are just a young Christian maybe just recently professed your faith, seek the Lord. And if you're just a young child learning to know God, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and you will find Him. Seek Him with all your heart and He will be found by you. That's His promise to you. So rely on that promise and live from that promise, brothers and sisters. That's the only way we can face the challenge of living as Christians in this world. Amen.